Before we get into the sermon this morning, I just want to commend you as a church family on behalf of the elders uh, for uh, one of the ways that you are a consistent blessing to one another, and it's through singing well. Um, I don't know if you uh, remember, but I, it stood out to me particularly on Easter morning when we were together and how well you all sang together. And again, week after week, it is a blessing to gather with a church that enjoys singing together. So we want to just keep strengthening that impulse in us to keep singing well. Uh, maybe you come and you don't feel like you can sing well, whether maybe you don't think you're talented enough to sing well or you're just sad and it's hard to sing well when you're sad. Um, I, I hope that you find encouragement to know that you're surrounded by Christians that will sing nonetheless. And, uh, and we'll just continue to help each other follow Jesus as we proclaim the glories of Christ, sing the doctrines of the gospel to one another, a week after week as we gather this morning. So, church family, well done. Keep doing well in that. Uh, it's a blessing to gather together and sing. Well, this morning we're going to begin a sermon series entitled, Who We Are, and it is a series where we're going to give biblical examination of our church mission statement and our core values. Our mission statement, along with those five accompanying values, reflect the deep doctrines and truths that are found in the scripture, and it really... It, it's helping us to ask the questions on who we are and why we exist and what we've chosen to emphasize together as a church family. So from time to time, it's good for us to review this. Um, it's easy for us to, um, to lose track of the main thing and to lose focus on why God has called us together as his people. And it's good for us to remind it also of God's lofty purposes for his church uh, because really he has a great and glorious purposes for us and we need to make sure we keep those front and center. So this morning, we're going to work through the sermon differently than we ordinarily do. Um, uh, often, if you've been coming for any length of time, or if this is your first time, let me just kind of uh, give you a little bit of a, a warning. Uh, usually at Highlands, we are doing expository series uh, through a particular a section of Scripture. Nor ordinarily, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a book of the Bible. We just finished a series through uh, the letters of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Um, this, this series is going to be a bit different, and we're focusing in on the Bible truths that our mission statement and core values reflect. And so we're going to be rooted in the scriptures for sure, but we're going to be referencing many different scriptures instead of just kind of staying in one place in the scriptures. And uh, so we'll try to help each other as we do that, having some verses on screen here and there to uh, keep us all in the same place together. Our mission statement, you can find it there in the, uh, in the bulletin that you received this morning when you came in. Um, if you need to, uh, unless you have it memorized because you're one of those stellar church members. Um, but I'll read it aloud for us together this morning uh, to make sure that we understand what we're looking at. Our mission statement for Highlands Baptist Church reads this way. We exist to display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. Of course, each of those uh, phrases in there are scriptural phrases. They reflect Bible doctrine. And so this morning we're going to organize a sermon around those, those phrases. We exist to display God's glory. Second one, by making disciples. And the third one, through the gospel of grace. That's going to be kind of our roadmap this morning. So let's begin. We exist to display God's glory. If you're anything like me, you probably have to fight against the notion of making everything that happens in your life all about you. <laughs> and if that surprises you, well, then you're unique. We often, really, we... we filter and understand pretty much everything that happens in life through the filter of how it affects ourselves. We have this tendency, this human condition of elevated self-interest. It's a problem, right? As we read our Bible, we learn that we've been created not for our own self-absorbed purposes, 
but we've been created for God's glorious purposes. One of the uh, most compelling statements of this that we can see in the scriptures, there's numerous places we could go, but one example is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, when the Apostle Paul says, Yet for us <clears throat> there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So if you're not a Christian, um, then uh, we would invite you to explore more and more into what it means to be a Christian because we believe that the scriptures tell us why we exist. This is not something we need to discover or, or find within ourselves. God has told us why we exist and it is for him. The existence of humankind is not random or aimless, what our secular world would like to, to tell us, something uh, what our secular world is removing and transcendent. Yet secretly, I think most people are all, all believe in the transcendent. Yet as Christians, we understand from the scriptures that we have been made for God-centered, glorious purposes. And so then as individual people in our day-to-day lives and then together as a church family, we understand that we exist for God's glory. That's kind of an obvious cliche phrase in the Christian world. If you're, again, if you're not familiar with Christianity, uh, most Christians would hear, you know, why are you here? What's your purpose in life? And they would understand the textbook answer is for the glory of God. Here's the challenge. We don't often know what that means. We kind of have this vague idea, essence of, yeah, it's, you know, it's for God's glory, but try to explain that to a 10-year-old. What does that mean? So I think one of the best, I'm going to try to describe that from the scriptures, uh, so we all as a church family kind of have a, a, a working definition of what that means so we can be, can be bound together in, a, in achieving this mission of displaying God's glory. I think one of the best explanations I heard about God's glory and it stuck with me through the years, is something like this. God's glory is the sum total of all his unique excellencies. It's the sum total of all of God's unique excellencies. And you might be thinking, well, hang on, you're using phrases to define things that are more confusing. Let me try a little bit more. What is the glory of an elephant? You might think it's the large ears. You probably were thinking of its long trunk, right? Something that is unique. That's an excellence of the elephant. That makes an elephant elephant-like, right? Or what is the, the, the glory of an alligator? Its jaw, its teeth. I, I, I know we could have some debate on what, what is unique about it. Maybe it's thick hide. Or what is the unique glory of fill-in-the-blank? You think of the animal kingdom and there are like the, the glory of, of a cheetah. Maybe, maybe it's speed. We can kind of go through and start to categorize there's something that makes that animal unique, that gives it its glory. There's also things that give glory. We, 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 by the way, we can identify glory when we see it, right? When you go uh, to the Grand Canyon, you are seeing something that invokes in you a sense of glory. There's something unique about that. Or Niagara Falls, or fill in the blank on some sort of wonderful, um, uh, natural um, beauty that fills you with a sense of glory. We, we understand that. God has features. He has excellencies that set him apart, that make him unique, that elicit from us the sense of wonderment and awe that is glory. So God's unique excellencies added together are his glory. So it makes him unique and unlike any other, it makes him God. What are God's unique excellencies then? What is God's glory? Well, it's interesting. As you start to look through the scriptures about God's glory, how the scriptures talk about God's glory and and illustrate God's glory and teach us about God's glory, you start to pick up on some unique themes. 
One of the places that we see God, God's glory in an interesting way is found in Exodus chapter 33. What's happening here in this account in Exodus is Moses is um, asking to see God's glory. He wants this vision of God and his glory. And by the way, as we work through these passages, I want for you to try to notice the connection between God's glory and his name. Because that's a connection that the scriptures are going to be making kind of implicitly behind the scenes all throughout the scriptures, from the Old Testament and all the way on into the New. In Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 18, Moses says to God, Please show me your glory. And he and God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Okay, now just pause there. That may confuse you. You say, well, hang on. Moses asked to see God's glory and God answered him by saying, I'm going to show you all my goodness. I'm going to proclaim before you my name. Again, the connection there of God's attributes, his unique excellencies that are all bound up in who he is in his name is God's glory. Keep reading, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." And then jumping down into chapter 34, just a few verses later, here's what God does. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, and this is the parade of God's glory that goes by Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. This is one snapshot, one Polaroid, kind of scriptural Polaroid of God's glory as it paraded by Moses in those words. God's glory has appeared in different ways to God's people over the ages. Again, with Israel, Old Testament, ancient Israel, in Exodus 24, we learn that the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. Okay, God is, is there with his people, is meeting, there's the giving of the law that's, there, that's happening there, and God's presence is there in the mountain. And here's what the description is. And the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he, God, called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And you read other portions of Scripture and it says that the children of Israel were trembling in fear as the mountain trembled in the presence of God's glory. Or in Second Chronicles, here's another description of God's glory. I'm, I'm hoping that the accumulation of these biblical descriptions give us a sense of, of this great glorious God in whom we are bound to. In Second Chronicles 7, Solomon, the, the temple had been built. He's going to pray a blessing upon the temple where God's people would gather in united worship of God. And it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I don't know exactly what that looked like or what that meant. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, 
For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Which, by the way, that phrase, God's goodness and his steadfast love, are repeated anthems that are in the scriptures connected to God's glory. Well, those are Old Testament examples. This devouring fire, this cloud, this overwhelming presence that just makes it impossible for you to even be there because God's glory is so powerful. What is it like for us today? It's likely that you have not had the devouring fire of God descend on your backyard after you prayed at some point. I hope that hasn't happened. That would be quite alarming. So what is it like for us today? That's how it was for Old Testament Israel. What about for us today? Friends, we have nothing... What is, is awesome as the Old Testament snapshots of God's glory are, and, and they are, right? I mean, that would be pretty spectacular as a people praying, dedicating a temple, and then woof, God's devouring fire comes down and consumes the sacrifices in this majestic display of God's glory. What do we have today? We have something even better, and it's Jesus. The fullest and final expression of God's glory to us is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. As great as all those Old Testament snapshots are, they weren't like God's greatest works, and now we've got kind of, well, we got this dude named Jesus. Folks, all the Old Testament uh, expressions of God's glory are wound up and bound up in Jesus. The fullest and final expression of God's glory is in Jesus. John chapter 1, here's how the apostle said it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or in Hebrews chapter 1, we learn that it was Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, it is, it's good, it is necessary for us to be reminded that the Christian church is all about God's glory. In Ephesians chapter 3, the passage that was read for us this morning, we have the idea of God's glory directly connected to Christ's church, to, to God's church. When he says there at the end of chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. A crucial issue, really a central issue for the life of the church is the centrality of God. It's the centrality of God. So Highlands Baptist Church, we, for us to be a true obedient church, we will be that in as much as we are preoccupied by and centered on the glory of God being seen in us and through us. This means what matters most on Sunday morning is not us, our opinions, our preferences. What matters most is the glory of God being displayed in us and through us. So let's ask ourselves, how preoccupied are we with God's glory when we gather? By the way, this notion of really what gives us purpose and meaning in life, why we exist is all about God, flies directly in the face of our modern age. We understand that? Our modern age is saying you are going to find your purpose and why you exist. You'll discover it within you. Now, now chase that. And we have a world full of miserable people. God has said, I am great and glorious. You exist for me. And it's a wonderful, glorious purpose. And we as a church share in that. But let's ask ourselves, how preoccupied are we with God's glory when we gather? This is a good just test for us to jettison the things that, that can try to replace the glory of God as we gather. Or how much importance do we put on the glory of God as we live our days through the week? Friends, it means that your parenting, your husbanding, your wifing, your, your, your friending, your co-working, your employing, your employer ring, however you want to call it, 
is full of then God-centered glorious purposes when you do it as unto him. So, we exist to display God's glory. For folks, God's glory is, is amazing. It's wonderful that we get to display it. Okay? I know some, uh, you might, you know, I, you've heard the joke, right? You tease the mirror, you know, you, you tell the mirror, it's wonderful that you're here because you get to display me. <laughs> All right? We are the mirror getting to display God. It's glorious. So, we exist to display God's glory. Well, how are we going to do that? How do we do that? We've, we've talked a little bit about it kind of in the corners, but we do it, our, our, our next statement and our mission statement says, by making disciples. So, you might be thinking, okay, that sounds like I've got to get busy doing work, you know, proselytizing people and selling God to make disciples so we can display his glory. Let's hang on here, okay? There's, there are more than one answer to how we might be making disciples, how we might be going about displaying God's glory by making disciples. Uh, maybe different strategies we could employ. One strategy is just, you know, go out and be obnoxious about the Christian faith, try to, you know, uh, bludgeon to people into becoming Christians. That is not the biblical way. Uh, think about this. Really, one of the ways we can display God's glory best is, is to possess a deep commitment to and enjoyment of God ourselves. So before we get into the idea of telling others about God, let's ask ourselves, how much do we enjoy the God we tell people about? How much of his glory has captured our affections? Think about it. We are all passionate about what we enjoy. This is kind of funny, right? Because you, you ever... Um, man, I might be picking a fight here this morning, but um, some people love their, their pets, right? And I just kind of find it interesting when people who love their pets, I know I'm on dangerous territory right now, and people who don't love, don't love pets, when you get them together in a conversation, it's kind of just like you just chuckle because one person's talking about something they love and another person's like, I don't get it. You do what for this animal? All right? But there's something that when, we, when our hearts are captured by enjoyment, we will naturally talk about it with others. Um, and really, this is apparent in so many ways. Just um, a new parent or a new grandparent, probably more so, right? You, you can't, a new grandparent cannot keep pictures of their grandbaby in their pocket, right? You just can't. They, they will talk to you, hey, let me show you. They'll show you another picture. And it's endearing. It's, it's wonderful because there is a sense of enjoyment in that new little person and they want to share that joy with others. We do it with things that aren't babies. We do it with things like um, great places that we've experienced like at a restaurant or maybe a favorite dessert or a great relationship or wonderful customer service or reliability or maybe you went somewhere and you experienced great hospitality. You want to tell everybody about it. Go here, eat this, try that, do this because you want them to share in the joy that you experienced. Friends, this displays the unique excellencies of whatever it was that we're joyful about. That's what we get to do as Christians. As Christians, we get to, one of the best ways we get to display God's glory is, is by just enjoying God, by desiring God. And I'm going to try to prove that to you briefly with just a couple of passages. It's, it's in the Bible everywhere. There's not time for us this morning. But in Psalm 63, listen to the words of the psalmist, the yearnings of his heart. He says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Friends, I'm not entirely sure if that's describing a man who is enraptured in his delight of God or a man who is yearning to be enraptured in delight for God. But either way, where does he go? 
I'm going to behold your power and glory because that is what's going to satisfy me. That is what's going to satisfy him. That's what will satisfy us too. Or Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Friends, don't get caught up on temple and, and house. Like you, have to, you can really only know God's glory when you're here in this place. That's not what's happening there. The idea is the presence of God is what David wanted. Do we? If we as a church family enjoy God and desire God, we will undoubtedly display God's glory because we will tell others about our glorious God. I wanted to establish that fact first before we talk then about making disciples in the sense of the action of it. God has a mission, yes, and his mission has a church, and we read about that, that mission, the Great Commission is what, it's, what Christians often call it in Matthew chapter 28. It reads, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There it is. We exist to display God's glory, how? By making disciples of the nations. An Old Testament variation of the Great Commission is found in Psalm chapter 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. What Psalm 96 is saying is the same thing that Matthew 28 is saying. Spread the fame of God. Talk about his glory. Making disciples of Jesus is important because God gets joy from it. This isn't just a, a task we have to undertake, a kind of a duty, an obligation. We must engage in just like a grandparent doesn't think, okay, I'm a grandparent, I guess i got to tell people about my grandbaby now. They would be like, whoa, hang on, you've missed something here. And that's it for Christians. It's not just an obligation we have to fulfill. It's, it's a wonderful invitation that we get to enjoy God. Luke chapter 15 tells us that there is joy in heaven. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, God finds joy in the church family that's gathered here, but there is unique joy that occurs in heaven when a sinner repents and embraces Christ. Luke 15.10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, Another way that we could think then about making disciples is this. We exist to display God's glory so that we can share in the joy of heaven. <laughs> because when a sinner repents and believes, when, it, when, a, when an unbeliever becomes a believer, when a non-Christian becomes a Christian and embraces Christ, enjoys to have their sins forgiven and enjoy Him forever, there is great joy in heaven and we are invited by God to share in that joy. In Revelation, we're given a glimpse as a church of what we are striving toward Okay, what we as a church family are striving toward. You know, what, what are we doing week after week? What's the end in mind? Revelation chapter 5 gives us a Polaroid snapshot of what we're looking forward to when Christ's church has completed her mission. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's the glorious vision that God has for us as his church. All people, this, this united people of every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered together singing praise to the one who made us his own. So then, if we will be obedient to our king, we must go and make disciples. It means then that a church is not, that is not engaged in the work of making disciples is a disobedient church. I'm not suggesting that making disciples is all up to our efforts, though, okay? 
Because that may be one way your minds can think. Man, we've got to get out there and start telling people about Jesus. Yes, but hang on. God tells us that he is the one who makes Christians. And I want to make sure we have that firmly grasped in our mind. God is the one who makes Christians through the power of the gospel of Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And, and we're going to get to that in just a, just a minute, the, the gospel, the actual the content of what we are telling people. But we need to take heart at the same time with Paul's words in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's somebody becoming a disciple of Jesus. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming the gospel? So friends, that is one of the joyful works we as a church family get to be involved in, is spreading the fame of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. So we think of it this way. Our enjoyment of God is not meant to be a cul-de-sac. It's meant really for us to be an on-ramp, to invite others to join us in our enjoyment of God. That's what it is. So, by the way, I, I want to just praise God for the disciple-making work that's going on in Highlands Baptist Church. Christian family, there are parents that are teaching their children in those ordinary, behind-the-scenes behind moments of, of everyday life that is happening in this church family. Let's pray for that. We've got coworkers that are seeing and hearing about Christian faith through winsome conversation, through the expression of a Christian ethic, okay, in the workplace. Neighbors are learning about Jesus through generous and loving hospitality. The nations are hearing about Jesus through our cross-cultural partners that are around the world. And we need more and more of this. More and more of this. So let's pray for these efforts and ask that God would increase our joy, that we would be obedient in making disciples of Jesus. So then, how are we praying for disciples to be made? I'm starting with that as our application, rather than just what can you do to make disciples, okay? I want to pause and, and hold us back one step because I think our actions to make disciples must start with prayer because God is the one who makes Christians. I think all of our strategizing and efforts will, be fall, will fall flat if it is not God who is at work through his word, by his spirit, to convince sinners of their need of a Savior. Let's pray about this. Let's pray for the children of Highlands Baptist Church to see and embrace the beauty of Christ as Savior. Let's pray for the extended family members of Highlands Baptist Church to come to faith in Christ. Let's pray for our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplace communities. Let's pray about that. One of the things you can do together as a home group is being aware of the, of the people in your life that don't know Christ and pray for one another, pray for those friends by name that God will be pleased to call them to himself. So, also, we need to understand that making disciples is not a single one-time activity or an event. So, making disciples includes a lifelong work. <laughs> okay? This is part of the reason why we come back every week. <laughs> right? It's like, y'all are Christians, right? So, why are you here again? It's because the, the Great Commission included this phrase in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, that's, that's going to take a lifelong pursuit. And that leads us to our third and final part of our mission statement. We exist to display God's glory, number two, by making disciples, by what means through the gospel of grace. Third, through the gospel of grace. This turn of phrase, gospel of grace, is found in Acts chapter 20. Verse 24 um, Paul is saying here, but I, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of grace is the power of God that brings salvation to the one who believes. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 tells us that the gospel, right, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel of grace is the good news of what God has done for us to rescue sinners so that we might enjoy him forever. It's the, the good news of a perfect God-man named Jesus who lived on earth, lived a perfect life, who suffered and sacrificed himself for sins he did not commit so that all who would embrace him by faith would be given his righteousness, would be forgiven their sins, their guilt of their sins would be removed eternally so they could, be, they could enjoy God forever. They could, we could be children of God. That's the good news. This is what makes people Christians. So the question is, has the gospel of grace transformed you? Here you are on a Sunday morning in a Christian church and just by chance, here you are hearing about how it, what a, why a church exists. Are you even part of Christ's church? Do you know God personally through the saving faith of embracing Christ as Savior? Or are you trying to save yourself? Are you here some effort of self-works to try to appease God for all of your bad actions? You go to church enough, you kind of, you know, counterbalance that? I don't know what your strategy is of self-salvation, but God has offered to you Jesus to save you. He's given you the Savior you need. Would you embrace him? That's what makes you a Christian. And by the way, you might say, okay, I understand that non-Christians need the gospel, so all right, good, but what about when you become a Christian? I mean, don't we kind of move on from the gospel? No. <laughs> we'll never outgrow the gospel. Um, the gospel of grace is not just for unbelievers. It's for Christians too. So this is why in the Great Commission, we're, we're making disciples of the nations, right, through the gospel of grace, and then we're teaching them to observe all things. That's teaching the gospel. Okay? So the pastors of Highlands Baptist Church promise to never stop preaching and teaching and explaining the glories of God as revealed to us in the gospel of Jesus. And I, you might say, well, hang on. You, you, it makes sense out. I mean, the gospel is where you go from non-Christian to Christian. And now you're saying we've got to spend our whole life in the gospel? Yes, and this is a good thing, okay? Just, just hear me out. The implications and applications of the gospel are endless. If we don't believe that, then we don't understand the gospel as we ought, which is an invitation to lean into the gospel more. And I'm not saying the gospel is a plan. And I just talked about the, the story of the good news, yes. But then how does that play out in a life that's been transformed by the gospel? So friends, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm talking about this so that we are better equipped to display God's glory by making disciples with the gospel, which means this. The gospel keeps changing us. And it excites us because we see more and more of God's glory, which means we're going to be telling more and more people about this great and glorious God. When the gospel becomes stale in our own hearts, we're going to fall flat in fulfilling our mission as a church. How, is, how does the gospel keep changing us? Well, there's a million ways. Here's one example of a, one implication of the gospel in a Christian's life that we can keep learning from that I think is relevant for our present-day setting as Christians in, in, a, in a Western American context. The gospel of grace is a reminder that our identity as a person is not something we achieve or create, but something we are given, that we receive from God. Our world is all full of identity. And how do you identify? And what they put in that blank of, of self-identification. 
Everybody's looking for this, their identity to be affirmed and celebrated so that then they have a sense of well-being as a person. Here's what's so amazing. Our modern age rejects the idea that an identity is given. Our modern age is saying you find it, you discover it, then you pursue it and live it out. But the Christian worldview works directly against that in wonderful ways, not stifling ways. Our modern age believes that the only identity that matters is the identity that you create or discover, but the problem with that is that an identity that you create or achieve holds power to crush you when you fail to achieve it again. Or when the means by which you achieve that identity is taken from you. But the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ gives us an identity through the decisive, saving acts of God through Jesus Christ. He's given us an eternal name, child of God. And it is not something we've earned or merited or achieved. He's done it through his lavish acts of grace to the ones who believe. So Jesus died so that we might be made new and given this new identity in him. And so as Christians, the gospel is not something stale. Yes, we understand we've been delivered and saved, but now we start to realize, oh, I'm a, I'm a new person. And who I am as a Christian doesn't change if I no longer am a parent or a father or a spouse or, or a coworker. Or That will remain eternal and our souls can find rest in that. Jesus gives us his righteousness and his righteousness is full and eternal. And again, since we're illustrating how the gospel of grace is relevant and profoundly applicable to us as Christians, so we need to keep celebrating it so that we can enjoy God, so we can display God's glory. That's, that's what we're looking at today, okay? Let me pull this thread a little bit further. Because then we're united together in Jesus through an identity he's given, right? He has named us his child. Since we are like that, since the gospel, we're brought together in this gospel of grace, we can then relate to each other without any discrimination. The gospel destroys that. Because God saved us. He made us his child by, by grace, not our works. So think of it this way. None of us are Christians any thanks to ourselves. None of us are children of God for any thanks to ourselves. It's entirely to God's credit. The scriptures are explicit about that. If you have reason to boast, you're going to boast in the Lord, the scriptures say. So since that is true, that means there's no pecking order in a gospel community. There's none. There's none. The church family is entirely comprised of sinners saved by God's gracious acts so that we can then look at one another and embrace one another and receive one another. And the gospel destroys discrimination. Our world is trying to get rid of discrimination. I know that's a complicated conversation, right? But friends, the gospel holds the key to it. When we understand one another as sinners saved by grace, that we are part of a people that God is drawing together from every tongue and tribe and nation, and we will be united in a single praise of worship to the Lamb by whose blood we are redeemed. So then when we live like this as a church community, in identity that we've been given in Christ, when we look and receive one another with a, with a, with a warm, loving embracing without any discrimination because of those world systems that try to work against the gospel, the glory of God is seen. This is just one. There's a million other ways we could chase that. So, really, we exist then to display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. Friends, we've got the greatest story ever. We do, and it's not just a plan of getting rid of guilt and sin. It's this, it's, it's this invitation to know God. It's like we're, we're, grand, we're not, I know this is a, 
I'm, I'm thinking of this illustration on the fly right now, so my apologies if this goes sideways. But it's like, we're not God's grandparents, okay? And God's not our baby. That's where I think this is risky. But, it's, but we have this, like a grandparent with a new baby, we've got, we want to celebrate this person we know, and we want to tell everyone about this person. And again, this illustration is risky because God's not cute like a little baby, but a grandparent wants to show the features. Look at this smile. Look at this hair. Look at, look at this look. You know, look at this outfit. And God's not a baby wearing an outfit in a picture. So please don't, don't make this illustration dreadful. But the idea, okay, do you understand what I'm trying to say? The idea is we as Christians are, should have our hearts so captured by this glorious gospel of this great and glorious God, we can't help but letting the gospel transform us in the nitty-gritty of life so that we can't help but be silent. We can't be silent about the glories of God. So what are we going to do with this, okay? I don't think I've preached anything new. It's our mission statement, so if you're a member of Highlands, you're familiar with it at least. But what we need most isn't something new. What we need most is to be reminded of the wonderful, glorious message of the Scriptures. So our mission statement, please don't think it's, it's just information to be understood, like, uh, like the square footage plan of your home. You know, it's not something dry and, and like you consult it when you need to paint the walls, but other than that, you know, it's kind of in the drawer. God's glory is, is meant to be, this, this mission statement is meant to be lived in us. How can we do this? Of course, there's a million ways, right? Let's just, just imagine with me. Let's dream together a little bit, okay? And this is happening, right? But let's, let's pray that this would happen more and more. If we exist to display God's glory, how might our relationships at home change? How might our marriages be different? if we remember that we exist to display God's glory. If we exist to display God's glory, how might that retool our parenting, our child-rearing? It's easy to let children or family unwittingly become our glory. But what if we taught our children, or what if they saw in us, even from young ages, that there is someone greater, someone worth suffering and sacrificing for? His name is Jesus. He's the great and glorious God. If we exist to display God's glory, how might our friendships be different? Both with Christians and with non-Christians. Would our loyalty and commitment to friends increase? Would our ability to suffer long with one another increase when we remember that we exist for God's glory? When we're consciously aware of God's glory, would we be more quickly would we more quickly seek to restore strained relationships and remember to forgive each other as God has forgiven us because we exist for God's glory? If we exist to display God's glory, what changes should we make to our lives so that we can engage more with unbelieving people in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhoods? If we exist to display God's glory, how might that change our spending, our financial decisions? And on and on we could go in asking that question, if we exist to display God's glory, how might? Friends, I trust you to just take that thought experiment and chase it a little bit. Well, how do we end? Well, whenever we think about our mission as a church, the danger is we start to kind of look at marching orders and say, okay, church, let's get up and get busy. And we kind of leave Jesus behind us. We can't do that. So what I want to do then as we end in the last minute is really the aim of the sermon is not for us just to get busy about doing churchy stuff. The aim of this sermon is to remind us and I hope inspire us to hope in Jesus. All of us on our very best day cannot fulfill the mission of Christ's church. We cannot. So really, this is not like how can we be our best versions of ourselves and do our best actions 
to make you know, the best attempt at fulfilling this mission, we'll fall flat. But that's okay because Jesus can. And his spirit is with us. He's in us. He's transforming us. He's saved us. And he's commissioned us into this work together. We have a perfect king. So Highlands Baptist Church is not perfect. And we remind each other of that regularly. And we sing truths to each other about the perfect Jesus whom binds us, who binds us together. But Jesus lived every day of his life on earth for the glory of God the Father. Every word he spoke, every conversation he had was for the glory of God the Father. This is the one that we unite ourselves in. And he is the one that we follow. So friends, as we set out in this mission together as a church family, as we remind each other of this from time to time, we're not the trailblazers in this mission. Jesus is. He is. And we then get to, really, the commission that we're involved in is, is, is inviting more and more to share in the joy that we have then in Christ. Christians, we serve a great King of glory. I'll ask the music team to come up and get ready to help us as we will sing a final song, a song about the glory of Christ. And I'm going to read from Philippians. And my aim in reading this section from Philippians is to really help us learn and listen to the glory of God that is in Jesus. And and it's his name that we praise. It's his gospel that we proclaim. Philippians chapter 2, beginning beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christian family, we share in the joy of celebrating that anthem and inviting more to join in that anthem with us. Let's pray.